think if I can get up on the stage without falling down, I've accomplished a good deal, so I'm <laughs> off to a good start. Um, I love, love, love the passage that we're studying this week, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13. Um, we come in this passage to a fundamental truth that is vital if we're going to leave a legacy of eternal significance. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's a tall order, and it takes strength to do it. I think the main hindrance that keeps us from uh, carrying out this calling is fear. All of us experience fear when we go to share the gospel with somebody or to pass on truth. Um, so we're going to look today and find some help in 2 Timothy 2. In the 10th grade, I had a monster of a Latin 2 teacher. She, she was tough as nails. She knew how to put the fear in us. And she was grimly determined that we were going to learn some Latin. She was a brilliant woman and had traveled the world, knew several languages fluently, including Swahili. And she used this to threaten us, at least weekly, that if she could learn Swahili, certainly we could learn a little Latin if we would only pay attention. At the same time, as this was going on, there was a program on TV called Fantastic Features. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember Fantastic Features. It was hosted by a vampire named Savad. <laughs> he was very scary to me. I, I just was terrified of Savad. He would open every program, good evening. <laughs> My name is Savad. I'm your monster of ceremonies for fantastic features. Please try to pay attention as we present for your enjoyment and edification another lively one from our monumental morgue of monstrous motion pictures. <laughs> I was scared just listening to the introduction. Well, seeing the great similarities between Savad and Miss Davis, <laughs> one young man in our class decided that he would take the nameplate on Miss Davis's desk and reverse the letters so that it would read Savad. We all thought it was hilarious until Miss Davis got back into the room. She was not nearly as entertained as we were. <laughs> she she made us memorize these long, long passages. Well, they seemed eternally long passages uh, of Latin and get up in front of the class and recite those passages. The horror of watching fantastic features was nothing to compare with the horror that uh, uh, just descended on me every time I had to get up in front of the class and recite my, my lesson. My mind would go blank, my stomach would cramp, my kneecaps literally would shake up and down so hard that I could barely maintain a vertical position. And 
You may not think a lot about that because teenagers are insecure. You know, they just are. But that fear followed me far into my adult life. And when the Lord made clear to me that he had um, a calling for me to teach, I said to myself, oh, I said to the Lord, I think you have the wrong number. I mean, don't you remember? I can't get up in front of people and teach. I can't do it. I'm too afraid. Don't you know about my kneecap shaking? I mean, I can't do this. I'm too afraid and I'm too weak to overcome that fear. Fear weakens us. I knew that if that fear was not dealt with, I would never be able to fulfill the call, my calling. So I identify with Timothy, who struggles to fulfill his mission because he has the persistent problem of cowardice. Now, you know the Holy Spirit is very specific when he inspired the scriptures to be written. He picked certain words to be used. And the word that he used in First Timothy, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 1.7 is the word for fear that he choose, chose is the word that means cowardice. It's not just he was a little timid and shy, but he was acting in a cowardly fashion. So today, in our lesson, we will find some truths that spell strength for weaklings like Timothy and like me. Paul says to Timothy, consider, pay attention. Think about this. It's almost as if we, if, as if we can hear Paul saying to Timothy, what are you thinking? Because what we believe determines what we think, and what we think determines what we do, and what we do has consequences. So that's why it's important to pay attention. Um, and he says things like, I remind you, uh, hold on to what I'm telling you, consider what I say. Remember, all through the book, he continues to use these kinds of words to Timothy. The antidote to that fear and that cowardice that Timothy was experienced and th that we also experience is found in 2 Timothy 2.1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So let's consider, let's pay attention to how Paul teaches Timothy to overcome his cowardice. He's going to talk to him about why he needs strength and what it takes to be strong and how to get that strength. First, Paul explains why we need strength. <clears throat> I need strength because I'm weak and I need to recognize it. Only weak people need a command that says be strong, right? When God created man, he created him with needs. There's nothing wrong with being needy. We need to be dependent on our creator. When the fall entered, came along, fear and shame were the immediate results of the fall. Suddenly, unanticipated, uninvited, unwelcomed. We became fearful people and who were ashamed. And that fear and shame weakened us further. They defeat us and they hold us captive all of our life. In our past, we're, a, we're a, ashamed of some of the things that 
we did or said or circumstances that came into our life that we didn't handle right and we're afraid we'll never get over the lingering scars from those decisions that we made or those circumstances that came upon us. In our present, the, un, the circumstances that come to us that are unexpected and unexplained can also fill us with fear. And then we're ashamed that we can't handle life as it has come about. And we all know how the unknown future can cause our imagination to go wild and fill it with all kind of ogres <laughs> of things that may or may not happen. And we're too weak to handle even one single part of our life. And to make it all worse, we refuse to acknowledge our weakness. We can't possibly let anybody know how weak we are and how pitiful we are. But you know, Timothy's weakness and his fear and his shame were apparent to all. And ours is too. Now, I, I realized, I think for the first time a few years ago, it really pressed home to me how weak I am when one morning I decided I'd change my breakfast routine. I got up, I was going to have cereal instead of my usual nourishing breakfast. And so I um, immediately began to pour the cereal into my coffee cup. <laughs> and once I managed to get it in the bowl, I picked up the coffee and started to pour it over the cereal. And this is scary to me because I thought, you know, am I losing my mind? I mean, I'm a morning person. My brain is at its best in the early morning. And I'm thinking, if this is how the morning is going, it doesn't look so good for the rest of the day. <laughs> I can't even get my breakfast without messing up. It convinced me I was a weak person. So we need to think about it. Let's, let's pay attention here. The world says admitting your weakness is a bad thing. But the gospel turns that worldly philosophy upside down. Admitting our weakness, recognizing it, and admitting it is the first step toward gaining strength. The second reason that we need strength is that we have a calling and we need to respond to it. All of us in this room have been entrusted with the gospel. True, we're not pastors like Timothy was or even teachers in an official capacity like he was, but we have the same calling to maintain the integrity of the gospel of grace, to guard against destructive heresy and false teaching, and to pass on the truth to others who are faithful and can also teach others. It's heavy stuff. It takes strength to fulfill this calling. If we as the church of Jesus Christ fail to take up the baton here and, and fulfill the calling to guard the gospel, then false teaching and confusion and division, controversy, and eventually even ultimate destruction is going to move in faster than we can blink. Paul says in verse 17, which is actually in next week's lesson, but he says this kind of talk, this false doctrine, will spread like gangrene. What he's saying is death is right around the corner if we don't pick up the mantle and pass on what we know to be true to the next generation. So let's think about it. Let's pay attention to the opportunities we give. We have a calling 
to guard the truth of the gospel and to pass it on. There's a third reason we need strength. We need strength because we will face suffering and we need to be ready to embrace it. If we respond to our calling, it's clear we're guaranteed that there will be some suffering involved at some point and maybe many points uh, in the process of um, standing up for the truth and spreading the gospel. Those things can be painful. And teaching others takes a lot out of you. It takes, it takes out of you uh, physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. It takes up your time. And, and sometimes we're even afraid of what it's going to cost us to do this. So the slander and the gossip and the rejection and the things that come are painful. It takes a strong person to embrace something that you know ahead of time may include some pain and suffering. To be able to say, to die is gain and really mean it. Paul knew what he was talking about when he said in verse 10, I suffer hardship for the sake of the elect that they may obtain salvation. He lists some of his sufferings for us in 2 Corinthians 11. You're familiar with it. He was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and hungry and sleepless nights and all kinds of dangers he faced, even imprisonment. The strength to embrace the sufferings that come with sharing the gospel and with passing on the truth to others. The, the strength to embrace those sufferings comes from knowing that from before the foundation of the world, there are some that God has chosen to believe the gospel. And it, it is our commission and our calling to give that gospel out. So let's think about it. Let's pay attention. How much pain am I willing to endure for the sake of the elect so that they might hear the gospel and come to salvation? So next, Timothy gives, I mean, excuse me, Paul gives Timothy three pictures to help him understand what it takes to be a good soldier, a good um, soldier of Jesus Christ and an athlete and a farmer are the pictures that he gives to show what it takes to be strong. First, it takes the resolute commitment of a soldier. In the first century Rome, at, in wartime, the consul would choose his own men to serve under him, and he, tried, he picked the ones that he felt were most fit to serve. Being recruited was an honor and an opportunity to prove yourself worthy and to bring great honor to, you, uh, to yourself and also to your city. But swearing an oath of allegiance immediately and entirely changed a person's status. They were now totally separated from their former way of life. They had to live, sleep, and eat in a military camp far from home. They had to deny themselves all pleasures, and they had to exhibit total self-control in every situation. From that point forward, from the moment he, he um, swore that oath, his actions would now always and only be at the will of the general. Nothing but death 
or the end of the war would release him from the obligation. He had to be committed to please the one who had enlisted him. So Paul is saying to Timothy, your status has changed. Jesus Christ has enlisted you as a soldier. And now you must show resolute commitment to him. Lay aside every attachment to your former way of life and endure hardship. The word endure there is a military term that means to hold your position at any cost. Timothy now has the opportunity to prove himself worthy. He has no need to fear no, nothing to be ashamed of. So let's think about it. Pay attention. Our status has changed. Jesus Christ has enlisted us as a soldier. We have one goal now, and that is to please the one who enlisted us. Let's resolutely commit ourselves to please the one who has enlisted us. And let's remember that spiritual strength is not given to release you from the fight, but to equip you for it. The second example that Paul gives to Timothy is the rigorous discipline of an athlete in the Greek Olympic Games. We're well aware of the kind of rigorous training that an athlete had to go under. And if you, if you have... Um, a, a child or a grandchild, or maybe you yourself uh, are, is an athlete, um, you know the kind of discipline that they have to undergo with their diet and their, run, their strength training and all the things that they have to do, and their strict rules that they have to follow. In the Olympic Games, the winners, um, at least it was thought that the winners, gained special favor from the gods. And they gained great glory for themselves and for their city. But they had to follow the strict rules. And there was zero tolerance for anyone who broke the rules. The offender would be not only disqualified, but he would be publicly whipped by the referee. He had to pay a big fine, and his offense was engraved on the statue of Zeus at the entrance to the stadium for all posterity to see. It was great public shame. And in an honor-shame society such as they lived in, that was huge. Only a strong person can undergo the rigorous training and maintain the integrity to, tr to compete honestly. Paul exhorts Timothy to discipline himself to fulfill his calling honorably. So let's think about it. Pay attention. We need to exercise spirit-enabled self-discipline in order to win the prize. The prize of well done from our master. And also the prize of the joy that comes when we see people respond to the truth that we speak. So there's a third il illustration that Paul gives to Timothy. And that is... Um, Reliant expectancy of the farmer. Strength requires that we trust. In Paul and Timothy's day, and in our day too, in some places in the world, survival largely depended on the successful harvest. Crop failure could mean hunger and even possibly death. Farming was hard work. You know this if you have a garden. <laughs> 
on a small scale. Um, the plowing, the planting, the watching out for insects, the weeding, the irrigating. Lots of hard work, but there was still a lot that was out of the farmer's control. There was um, bad weather like hail, um, insects. There was also crop disease and maybe even possibly an enemy invasion that would come and trample the crops. So why work so hard when there's so much that could go wrong? The farmer had to rely expectantly on God to bring in the crop. He's the only one that could bring in the crop. So let's think about it. Let's pay attention. Strength requires that we work hard and trust God for the increase. So we've seen that strength requires the resolute commitment of a soldier, the rigorous discipline of an athlete, and the reliant expectancy of the farmer. So you may be saying, well, that's just well and good, but how do I get there? I've been struggling this, with this my whole life. I've made resolutions. I've tried to um, you know, keep myself disciplined, keep all the rules. I mean, I have my quiet time. I, I hang out with other believers. I, um, I read all the how-to books, and I know God can bring in the crop, but I still don't seem to be making a lot of progress here. What's missing? So Paul is ready now to introduce three resources for finding strength. And the first of these is that we rest in grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Back in the summer of 2014, I don't really remember the circumstances that drove me to it, but I definitely remember that I suddenly, it was like a weight on me. I, I just, I said to the Lord, I don't understand grace. I don't understand it. I, I need, this is key, and I need you to teach me this. Please teach me this. And so, just a few, after I did a lot of studying and so forth, the Lord gave me a little clinic. Have you ever had a clinic? I get a clinic regularly. The clinic that the Lord gave me was back surgery. It was a serious back surgery. And for three months, I was on restrictions. No bending, no lifting, no twisting. Now, you think about that. That means nothing. You can't do anything. If you drop a pencil, you can't bend over to pick it up. You can't cook. You can't clean your bathroom. I was glad about that one. Um, <laughs> nothing. You can do nothing for yourself except get your own shower. That's it. You're dependent on other people for everything. And so I began to learn a little bit about grace. Grace, and we all know, I think, in probably 98% of you can give the definition in a red-hot minute, grace is unmerited favor. We all know that, and we know we can't earn it. But there is more to grace than just unconditional favor or unmerited grace. We know we can't earn it. That part we get. What we may not get is that grace asks nothing in return. There's no payback. <laughs> There's no payback. That's what I found. Um, because, you know, as people brought food and food and food, I mean, I was on restrictions for three months, but I had enough food. I didn't cook for five months. I mean, people were so generous, and I thought, I will never be able to pay this back. I don't have the resources to pay it back. 
And that is a part of grace. It is not earning or bartering with God. I did, uh, you know, I did all this. Now God's obligated to do that. It's also not payback. Oh, since God's done all this for me, I, I, I must do all this for him. I mean, it's the least I can do. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Great him, but that line is wrong. There's no payback. Our obedience and our service to God is not based on debt. It's based on love. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm in a favored position only and always because of Jesus. Not because of what I did or didn't do. Not because I think I have some great thing I can pay all this infinite grace back. Why do I think I have anything infinite to give that would be sufficient to pay back the infinite debt that I owe? So I'm in a favored position only because of Jesus. Grace is also, and this I think we forget sometimes too, grace is also unlimited enablement. The Spirit of God enables us to do what God calls us to do. Not only does he give strength, he is the strong one in us. He's already accomplished all that concerns us. Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it, who also will bring it to pass. We need to live in the realm of grace. Nothing to earn, nothing to pay back, depending on the spirit for enablement. And then the final point, grace is reserved only for those who are weak and undeserving. And that is really good news, isn't it? Because I'm weak. That means I'm a candidate. I am uh, qualified to receive grace because I'm pitiful on my own. There's one more thing I want to point out before we leave this grace topic here. And it's, a, excuse me, but it's a little grammar point. I love grammar, so you'll just have to get over it, I guess, or forgive me. Anyway, the word be strong is in the present tense. That means it's a continuous action. It's also in the passive voice, which means that you're the receiver of an action, not the performer. So we could read the first part of this verse, be strong. We could read it as literally, keep on receiving strength. Be strong is not something we do, something we work up and do. It is something we receive because we live in the realm of grace. Unless God does something, we don't have any hope because we don't have any inherent power in ourselves to do the will of God. But God's grace is sufficient for us. It supplies every need we have. So let's think about it. Let's pay attention here. God has given us, graced us with, a spirit of power. Since we live in the realm of grace, we're in a position to receive God's enabling power. Let's find strength as we rest in grace. A second resource for finding strength. We need to realize our union with Christ. Be strong in the grace 
that is in Christ Jesus. The moment that we believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit unites us with Jesus Christ. There's a lot of analogies in scripture that illustrate this. The husband and wife, the vine and the branches, the head and the body. But Paul uses one in Romans 6 that I think is the one that really clinches it for me. He says, you have been baptized into Christ. You're identified with him. That word was used for a piece of cloth that had been dipped in a vat of dye. And it was irreversibly changed. It took on the characteristics of the dye in which it had been immersed. So we have been baptized into Christ. We can live in one of only two possible realms. Before salvation, we live in the realm of sin. Sin has authority over us. We have no choice except to sin because we are immersed in sin. We take on the characteristics of sin. But once we believe the gospel, we're transferred from this realm, the rule of sin, into the realm of God into the realm of grace as the Spirit unites us with Jesus. We're now under the authority of God. We're immersed in God. He's in us, we're in him. How much more close could you get than that? We're irreversibly changed. We take on the characteristics of the one whose life we have been immersed in. His life is our life, and it is not possible for us to keep on acting like we always used to act. I'm not saying we don't sin anymore. Obviously, we do. But the predominant course of our life can no longer be that we sin like we used to and enjoy it. Because we've taken on the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Union with Christ means that we have the power to serve God, to bear fruit. So let's think about it. Let's pay attention. Let's get our categories straight here. I'm not who I was. You're not who you were. You now live in the realm of grace. You've been immersed in the life of Jesus Christ and also in his death and resurrection. You don't have to keep on being a coward ruled by fear and shame. So let's keep on being filled with the enabling power that is found only in the realm of grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now Paul gives us one last resource. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. That's in 2 Timothy 2.8. I want us to look at this quickly as we close, um, phrase by phrase. First, remember. Call to mind with an intention to act. It's not the kind of remember like, oh, I forgot that and I suddenly remembered it. Or like you have a childhood memory. The word remember in scripture always has the idea 
tucked in there with it, that you bring something to mind with the intention to act. So what are we to remember? Remember Jesus, the fully human, fully divine, one who came to save his people from their sin. Remember Jesus Christ, the anointed king who came to establish the rule of God in our hearts and in the whole, whole world. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He's the one who conquered our greatest enemy. Death is not our friend. It is never our friend. It is our greatest enemy. Jesus reversed the curse of death and gave us life that will never end. The resurrection is the greatest demonstration of power that has ever been seen on this earth. Greater power than any um, flood or fire or um, hurricane or uh, nuclear power, atomic bomb, nothing is greater than the power that was demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is proof that he is the supreme ruler with ultimate power, undefeatable power, power that will never end. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. The first hundred times I read that, I thought, what is that doing in there? I mean, I get the Jesus part, the Christ part, the risen from the dead part, but what is, what is this, descendant of David? But you remember in 2 Samuel 7, where God promises David that he would raise up a descendant who would sit on his throne forever, one whose kingdom would have no end. Jesus Christ is that descendant. Not only does his resurrection show that he has supreme power, but his lineage proves that he has the right to exercise that power forever as the promised king. It's like Paul is saying to Timothy, this is the one you've been looking for all your life. Remember this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. We all know that the gospel is not advice about how to live a life so that you can get connected to God and stay connected. It's not advice about how to get God's blessing. It's the announcement of an event that took place in history that makes a permanent difference in your life and mine. It's good news of what Jesus has already done to connect you permanently to God and to give you all the resources that you need every day for whatever you face. So let's think about it. Pay attention. And as we think on this verse, let's remember these things, what each word means, with the intention to act. Remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, is the the way we get strength. So how do weaklings like me find strength? Think about it and pay attention. That's the starting place. 
the negative things that we need to remember and think about and consider. I'm weak. I have a calling. That calling may involve suffering. It takes commitment and discipline and an expectant heart. I can't work any of that stuff up on my own. I've proved it for 74 years. The positive, but God. Love those words. God gives me all the strength I need every day. All the resources. He gives me grace that is unmerited. No payback. No earning. The grace enables me to do all that is required. He places me in union with Jesus Christ. We are immersed in his life and death and resurrection. And he brings to our mind remembrance of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. We cannot leave a legacy of strength unless we know how to tap in to the strength of our Savior. But let's commit together this morning one more time afresh to leave a legacy of strength as we keep on receiving the enabling power, the strength that is found only in the realm of grace where we have been immersed in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you are the strong one in us, that you have given us grace that, um, above all things, enables us to trust you. We don't have to work it up or pay it back or any of that, Lord. We just, our hearts are drawn out to you in love, and I pray that you would give each one of us the enabling power to take the things that we have heard in the presence of many witnesses and to pass them on to faithful men and women and boys and girls um, who may also be able to teach others. We thank you for your promises and for your person. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.